0: We look to God who speaks it to us to be at work in us, uh, so let's ask Him to do that. Uh, great God and Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the, this book of the Bible, thank you for this uh, section that we're reading today. Uh, please do be at work in us uh, by your Spirit, uh, that we'd uh, focus and hear and understand uh, what you speak and uh, trust you, the speaker, and uh, trust Uh, your Son, uh, in the Lord Jesus. Amen. Days depend on what's happening later. Uh, A day with an exam at 2pm means you'll spend some of it preparing and you'll make sure you've got a plan to arrive on time for the exam. Uh, A day with a party in the evening, uh, that will uh, mean a different type of preparation and a different desire to make sure you arrive in time. Uh, Days depend on what's happening later. But it's not just the day the thing happens. There are days of preparation for exams. There are days of anticipation for parties. Some exams, uh, people work years preparing for them. Months, maybe years, uh, preparing for wedding parties. Today's depend on what's happening later. Peter's been talking about what's happening later. Maybe not later today, but later. It's not just information, it's life-changing revelation of what will be. If you hear and understand and trust the words God speaks, it will give you direction as you wake up. Each morning. Throughout this letter. Peter insists God has spoken. Uh, God spoke creation. And it was so. God spoke flood. And it was so. God spoke through the Old Testament prophets. He said he would send his beloved son. To rule over all. Uh, He said his uh, well pleasing servant. Would be pierced and crushed for us. And it was so. Jesus is the beloved son. God's servant with whom he is already well placed. Already Jesus was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Already Jesus Christ, the master who bought us, has been raised and rules as Lord and Savior. Certainly he will return to judge rebels and bring his people safely home. God has spoken. God has and is and will work through his word. Everything he has spoken will prove true. The words he spoke through the ancient prophets and the words through he spoke through Jesus' apostles will prove true. Uh, Peter keeps setting uh, those words side by side. The words of the prophets and the words of the apostles beside each other And he does it again in verses 15 and 16. I want to show you how he does it. Uh, Peter points to Paul as our beloved brother. Uh, He stands beside Paul as a brother in Christ and as another apostle sent by Christ to speak his truth. Uh, Peter says that Paul's teaching is the same as his. Peter says something and then he says, just as Paul also wrote to you. They're, They're teaching the same things, not different things. And it's the same because Paul writes, according to the wisdom given him. Paul's one of the apostles Peter had in mind in chapter 3, verse 2. It's vital to remember the commandment of our Lord and Savior through Paul and the other apostles. Paul and the other apostles spoke and wrote with the wisdom given them by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So when Paul speaks what Jesus gives him to speak, about this thing or that thing or another thing, what he teaches aligns with what Paul Peter teaches. They agree because, like the prophets before them, they speak from God as they are carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter, Peter clearly thinks that's what's going on because he keeps putting prophetic and apostolic words side by side as the same authority. Uh, so look at how he does it in verse 16. He includes Paul's writings among the other scriptures. There are scriptures, and Paul's writings are part of those scriptures. So uh, Paul actually does a similar thing in 1 in Timothy, uh, when he uh, quotes a little bit of Deuteronomy and a little bit of Luke's gospel, and refers to them together as scripture. I suspect actually that that's what... Um, Paul had in mind when he wrote this second letter to Timothy and uh, said all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. But clearly, verse 16, Peter puts Paul's writings inside the scriptures. There's some of the other scriptures along with Genesis and Psalms and Isaiah. Paul's letters. It's all God's word to us. Enjoy P- yeah, Peter's other little comment in verse 16. Uh, there are some things in Paul's writings that are hard to understand. Uh, yep, I think we can say I'm into that, and we could actually comment that there are some things in Peter's writings that are hard to understand. Uh, but Peter I- isn't saying they're hard, so I uh, don't worry about those bits. He's saying quite the opposite. Uh, he's saying be careful that you're not taken in by people who misunderstand those bits, or who selectively quote the easier bits, or who reinterpret the easier bits. Be careful because God is saying something and it's disrespectful and dishonoring and disastrous and destructive to hear God speak and to substitute in your ideas as if they are his. It's dishonoring, disastrous, destructive, disrespectful to hear God speak and then substitute your ideas in to what he says so hear him, trust him. Everything he has spoken in the scriptures will prove true. Including what he says about false teachers twisting the truth. Uh, there are people who uh, very obviously oppose Christ and his gospel. Uh, they say the whole thing is a flat out lie and you're better off without it. But Peter's not, like don't follow them, but Peter's not warning about them. They're, they're so obvious. It's a The people he warns about are the ones who are harder to see. Remember chapter 2, verse 1? They're in among believers. They secretly sneak in destructive differences. Uh, Peter's already tackled uh, some of those differences. Uh, The destructive denial of the historical truth about Jesus. The arrogant denial of the rule of the Lord Jesus. uh, The mocking denial of his promise to return. Those all kind of sound obvious. So why does Peter say they sneak in? How do, How is it secret? I'll take it they secretly sneak in destructive differences, destructive denial, by twisting the truth. See chapter 3, verse 16. They're ignorant, they're unstable people, they twist the apostles' teaching and the other scriptures, all of it, to their own destruction, they twist the truth; they distort it so it says something different. They change what it says so that instead of what God says, it, they suggest it says something else. And their twisted truth sends them to their own destruction. Verse sixteen. I suspect part of that is part of part of why it's to their own destruction. Uh, is that they dishonor the ultimate author. Uh, They do violence to God as they twist his words and make it say things that he did not intend. Make make his words say what they want to say. God says through Paul, you have died to the law through the body of Christ. And they explain, so you're free to forget God's commands, God's law, and do whatever you desire. God says through Paul, you were called to freedom. They explain you're free, everything's permissible, don't hold back. Don't hold back from anything that you desire. It's violence against God and his son to twist their words spoken through their apostles and prophets. to twist the the truth results in the false teacher's destruction because they're dishonoring the ultimate author of the scripture. But also because they believe their modified message. They believe their modified message. They twist the truth and then they live as if the twist, the truth, sorry, they twist the truth and then they live as if the twist is true. Easier to write than read. They twist the truth and then live as if the twist is true. But it is not so. When God speaks, it is so. When they twist his speech, it changes nothing reality is unaffected by their misinterpretation all that's changed or maintained is the way they say it they don't see reality and but if something's changed it's that they're even more sure that the thing they see is reality though it is not they're more sure that their error is accurate imagine a group of explorers out in the wilds uh, they come, uh, they come to a fork in the path that they've been following. It's a narrow path. It's a difficult path. It's hard and steep at times. And they see no time, ty- no sign of that changing. But now they see another path. It's a wide and easy path. It looks like it would be a pleasure to walk and the explorers would like to think that that path goes somewhere wonderful. That narrow path, it's, it's so hard. They're already imagining how difficult it would be to continue on the the narrow way. They'd like to think that there's no good reason to continue on the narrow path. But there are signs along the path. They say the narrow path leads to joy and life and the wide and easy path leads to destruction and death. This narrow path to joy and life, the wide to destruction and death. But the explorers, they're, they're focused on the next little bit of the path. They can only see the short stretch in front of them. Hard here, easy there. So they squint until they can barely see the signs. And they interpret them. Wide, easy, narrow, hard. Hard and they happily walk the wide path with confidence in their heads and hearts that it leads to joy and life. But their squints and their words and their thinking about where that path leads have changed nothing. They believe their modified message, and they follow it to their own destruction. Twisting the truth of the Old and New Testament scriptures results in destruction because false teachers dishonor the ultimate author, and because they and those who follow them believe their modified message, while reality remains unaffected. That's why Peter keeps warning. God has told you what to expect. Expect people who teach, but what they teach is false. People who mock God's promise as if he has never come through on his word. People who twist the truth and then live as if the twist is true. Verse 17, people whose lives are lawless because they've picked beliefs to fit their desires and they're enslaved to those desires. Expect them, but don't follow them don't believe what they teach, don't be shaken by their mocking, don't be redirected by their truth-twisting, don't be enticed by their invitation. Their interpretation has not changed reality. Neither their thoughts nor their words define reality. God's Word does. When we listen to Him, we actually see what really is when we listen to him, we see reality. We see what is, we see what has been, we see what will be. And the focus at the end of chapter 3 is on what will be, on judgment and salvation that will come. Verse 10 described the heavens dissolved, the earth and the works done on it, uh, exposed to judgment. Verse 13, the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Verse 10 calls it the day of the Lord. Verse 13, the day of God. Verse 18, the day of eternity. The long expected, the long delayed day when a renewed and eternal reality begins. When rebellious angels and and people will receive the reward for what they did. Every thought, motive, desire, action, intent will be exposed. When perfectly proportioned, judgment will fall. Perfect, but dreadful. And on that same day, Christ's people will not be judged or condemned. We will not be judged and condemned because he bought us. He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Christ's people will receive a rich welcome into his eternal kingdom, where there is no more sin, where there is only righteousness. The wonderful renewed reality Where there is no more crying or dying, no more pain or shame, no more sin. Who's spared that judgment? Who's welcomed in? Who are Christ's people? Well, Peter's been talking about that all the way through from the first verse when he talks about precious faith. People of faith, which is to say people who hear what God says, who understand what God says, and who trust what God says about salvation in his Son. That trust has everyday implications which we've been seeing uh, in 2 Peter. It's a practical trust in the Lord Jesus, uh, the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ as Master who bought you. It's a practical trust in the risen Lord who uh, gave his life to buy you out from under sin and death and judgment. Which means it's practical trust which Uh, begins a feedback loop of knowing you are in a grace relationship with God in Christ and are at peace with God through Christ and knowing him more and trusting him that he's brought you into that relationship so knowing that grace and peace and seeing him and trusting him and seeing it more as you lean in and trust our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ the master who bought you Your relationship is already grace. You haven't earned. You don't deserve their acceptance and love. But as you lean in and trust Christ, you know that you're accepted, forgiven, but not just accepted, forgiven, loved. Deeply loved. And your relationship is peace. Not peace that you've earned because by your rebellion you made yourself an enemy, but peace made possible through Christ's death on the cross. Because he died and is raised, all is well. You are at peace with the holy God who judges. He will not condemn. Leaning in and trusting Jesus begins uh, uh, that like that loop of, of seeing who he is, what he has done, and seeing grace and peace as the shape of our relationship, and seeing him and seeing it. But it also brings a new nature to you. You're no longer enslaved to the corruption of sinful desire. Influence, yes. Enslaved, no. You're freed to pursue Righteousness. You're freed, as Peter talked about in chapter 1, to partake in the divine nature as God works in you by his spirit as you hear his word. As God works to make you more like his divine son. You're freed to make every effort, as we just prayed, to make every effort to be marked more and more by faith-formed virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness, brotherly affection and love. And that effort is faith. It's faith because it is the effort of hearing and understanding and trusting God who speaks. It's the life-bringing trust in the historical truth about Jesus. It's the humble trust in Jesus as a good and loving master. It's the expectant trust in his promise to return. Those are realities and others that God has been showing us as we've read to Peter together. Because God has spoken, we know the end will come. Because God has spoken, we know what will happen at the end. And to who? We see reality. So what about that focus at the end of chapter 3? Uh, Why does God show it to us? Well, because seeing the reality of what will be allows us to tune our head, heart and life to reality. It means life is waiting. When there's an exam in the afternoon, it's a good day to do some prep and uh, turn up on time. When there's a party in the evening, it's a good day to do the other sort of prep and uh, turn up. God's communication isn't just information. It's life-changing revelation of what will be. If you hear, understand, and trust the words God speaks, it will change both your eternal future and your day-to-day life. John Chapman was uh, an Australian evangelist. Uh, He died nearly 10 years ago, um, already in the 70s, 20-odd years ago. Uh, he, I was in some preaching classes he did at the Bible college where I studied. Um, I think it was there that I heard him say this. I heard it say it somewhere along the way. Um, sort of thoughts so that would enter his mind as he woke up in the morning. Bear in mind, he's in his 70s. Um, he's feeling the effects of the age. He'd wake up and he think, oh, it's morning. I didn't die in the night. Jesus didn't return, so it must be a good day for evangelism. He lived it. He he saw the end, the reason for the delay, and it shaped his life. As an evangelist, as a man marked by godliness and holiness, a concern for Christ's church, Peter's aiming to get us to live through the lens to live through the lens of seeing that Jesus will return and we know what will happen when he returns. Meanwhile, today, and however many more days are left, when any you, anytime you wake up and you notice you didn't die in the night and Jesus hasn't come back while you slept, it's a good day to live in tune with reality. Don't worry if you're sleeping, Jesus will wake you. Um, Um, And you know, you wake up, didn't die in the night, Jesus hasn't returned, it's a good day to live in tune with reality. What has been, what is, what will be drives what we ought to do day by day. a few places um, in this last chapter where Peter says, do this or implies, do this. So, a bunch of statements are going to come up, I'm just going to speak briefly to each one. Uh, just It's the, because this is reality, live this. Just showing you those connections that Peter is drawing. See, because we know judgment will come, today is a good day to turn to Christ. That's the primary ver- focus in verses 8 to 10. Uh, He's saying, "Don't mistake God's slowness or or slowness or lateness uh, with keeping His promise to to send Jesus to judge. Don't mistake His slowness or His lateness as forgetfulness. He is very aware of the trail of dishonor and damage your life leaves. His slowness or lateness is patience. If you haven't yet gone all in with Jesus." His slowness is your opportunity to turn to Christ and trust the risen Lord who gave his life gave his life to buy you out from under sin and death and judgments because we know judgment will come today is a good day to turn to Christ and be forgiven then also because we know false teachers will be judged today is a good day to be careful not to follow them Uh, we've been through verse 17 already so i won't linger uh, but don't lose sight of what peter says there are interpretations of god's word the bible which misinterpret it to the point that those who follow those beliefs will not be saved will be judged so be careful not to follow what they believe. Be careful not to follow their lives of lawlessness. Because we know false teachers will be judged, today's a good day, any day you wake up is a good day, to be careful not to follow them. Then also because we know a renewed creation will come, Today is a good day to pursue holiness. Verse 11 says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought we to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Verse 13, According to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace be diligent, make every effort. Drag as much of that righteousness and holiness and godliness uh, that that will be true of you in the end into life while you wait. Peter began his letter with the importance of making every effort towards personal transformation into the image of King Jesus. Lawless teachers, they deny, they say, there's no need, just uh, live your desires. But the master who bought us, calls us to the goodness of participating in his nature. The goodness of showing more and more of the same holiness and godliness and righteousness that marked him. By faith. By practical trust. We trust him that our sinful desires are false guides. That he is our good and loving guide. Because we know Renewed creation will come. Today and any day you wake up is a good day to pursue holiness. Because Jesus will save those who trust him in the end, today is a good day to grow in grace and knowledge of Christ. Uh, This is really the other side, verse 18, of being enticed by false teachers. But I mention it separately because Peter has made such an emphasis on the importance of being steadfast, becoming stable. And that stability which comes from knowing and trusting what God speaks about his son. And trusting the son about whom God speaks. Uh, Peter prayed for that multiplying uh, grace and peace near the beginning of the letter. Uh, Here he says, grow in grace. Grow your knowledge, your awareness, your confidence, your conviction of God's love for you in Christ. Be deliberate about saying more clearly That you are really and truly loved by God who gave his son for you. And grow in it by growing in your knowledge of Christ. Yes, again, growing in terms of knowing about him. What God speaks about him is true. Also growing in your relationship with him as you see who he is and what he's done and what he is doing, what he will do. And lean in and trust him to do it. Because Jesus will see of those who trust him to the end, today and any other day you wake up is a good day to grow in grace and knowledge. The day will come. The day will come when we see him face to face. Meanwhile, we wait. And because we know why we wait, because we know why the end has not yet come, Today today is a good day to call others to trust and go on trusting. Uh, Peter talks about hastening the day in verse 12, about hurrying it up, about aiming to, get, uh, to bring uh, the day of Jesus' return back sooner. Uh, in verse 15 he says, Count the patience of the Lord, the delay of the time before Jesus returns. Count the patience of the Lord as salvation. In both he's talking about understanding that, what these days are for. He's talking about understanding what these days are for and getting in step with the reason for the slowness or lateness of Christ's return. He delays for salvation. Peter isn't saying he delays so that you can repent of a few more sins, so that you can become a little more right, a little bit more righteous and holy. That's not what makes you saved or not saved. That's how you live, because you are saved. He delays in order to bring more people to initial repentance. He delays in order to bring more men, women, and children out from under sin and death and judgment and into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. So they get to live with the freedom of forgiveness. So they get to live with the confident expectation that they too will be part Um, of Christ's eternal kingdom where righteousness dwells. Because we know why the end hasn't yet come, today is a good day to call others to trust in Jesus. We see those realities and we see where they drive because God has spoken. When reality shapes our days while we wait, uh, our lives point to the glory that Peter glimpsed in in his few short years with Jesus. Uh, When Jesus returns and brings all his people safely home, our heads and hearts and lives will finally and fully be tuned to reality. And our eternal days with the master who bought us will declare his glory. Peter says, to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, be glory now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you speak so that we can see what is and what will be. Father, we thank you that you warn so that we see the danger of drifting. Father, we thank you that seeing reality, uh, we see how it's appropriate to live while we wait for the glorious appearing of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Father, please, as we keep reading and rereading and remembering your word, please open our eyes to see these realities, and please help us uh, to wake up and see ourselves in your great plan, that we live as those who know that judgment will come, that false teachers will be judged, who are careful to avoid following those who teach falsehood as those who know there's a new creation where righteousness and holiness dwells and that that will be wonderful and so we pursue godliness and holiness in obedience to our master who bought us. Fellow, please do make us eager and determined to grow in our recognition and realization of what you've done for us in Christ to grow in our knowledge of Him and our trust, our practical trust in Him. And Father, please, while we wait and know the purpose of your delay, uh, make us eager to proclaim the Lord Jesus to those who desperately need Him. And all of this, both for our good, for the good of those to whom we speak and especially for the glory of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, that he might be seen to be your glorious son who chose to suffer, to bring forgiveness, and who is raised and seated at your right hand. It's in him we pray. Amen.